We were also thieves in our old life, the underground one. That idling hum that vibrated inside as we sat through classes and meals and dates and lectures and movies and family vacations. Stealing was not necessary for any of us. Amanda's father was a surgeon. Kipps sold real estate. My parents ran a profitable business. There was enough money, plenty of clothes, every foolish object offered over the television we already owned. Still, we stole. The act seemed nearly instinctive, playful, practice, like toppling lion cubs in training to hunt and kill. We stole quirkily. Mice from the pet store smuggled one at a time inside our coat pockets, their scrambling feet and scared hearts. Sugar bowls from restaurants, silver and stemware, license plates, bags of frozen vegetables from Safeway, a no-parking sign, lawn ornaments, a television from Montgomery Ward nestled inside a wicker basket, the most brazen of our booty, engineered by Kip, but surely the brainchild of Don Wrigley. We checked car ignitions the way others check payphone coin returns, looking for the overlooked. Outside the Century Two Convention Center one winter night, we found a station wagon with its keys stashed beneath the seat. Away we went, leaving Kip's Dotson like collateral. For an hour we used up gas, aimless and in a hurry, then returned to the lot, parked the wagon three rows from where it had been, and drove away. What would that driver imagine? Car smelling faintly of love's baby soft, of beer and bubblegum and Doritos, perhaps vaguely warm, tank empty, and resting elsewhere, as if it, too, had a life to lead. The car was like us. It would come back. It would be reliable, but it had some other needs, ones better met in sneaky circumstances. We stole the predictable as well. Bathing suits and underwear, earrings, eight-track tapes, candy bars, and so on. I was confessing these thefts, the average and the outrageous alike, to a man I met at my daughter's school. He coached the handicapped, who arrived every morning on what Elaine had named the retarded bus. Her unusual unkind mouth was what had brought me to her middle school, and it was a Mr. Schweda I had to meet with and appease. He tripped as he entered the room, and rather than cover it or look back with irritated blame at the object that had leapt into his way, he made a spontaneous and elaborate stumble, knees liquid, feet slippery, hauling himself rumpled and slapstick to the desk where I waited. Who could not be attracted to such a man? The thing is, he said immediately, your daughter was in the right. That very morning... Elaine had engaged in what her principal had named foul language as the handicapped children entered the building. I had driven over set to defend her. A girl deserved not to see a boy's penis if she didn't want to, even if that boy was mentally retarded and unaware of what he was doing, even if the exposure were at the level of a wheelchair. Elaine had been stubborn in asserting her rights. Zip yourself up, she yelled, asshole. She'd unfortunately added. The boy had had his own arsenal of choice phrases, but the principal hadn't gone into those. Neither Shweda nor I had witnessed the event, 
and neither of us had a stake in pursuing it as a subject, except to make the principal happy. When I asked, he told me he'd lived in Wichita since the day he was born.